0: People you know at the end of the year you're going to get the the little medallion that you put on <laughs> a little buttonhole it's uh, it's uh, in honor of Santa Fe it's silver and turquoise of course, and it says I'm a dispensapalian and proud of it <laughs> and of course it has our symbols it has It has the uh, has the little picture of the white light aura, and then the uh, little donuts, you know, with covered in white coconut. You see, or you could, if you wish, you have the choice of the powdered sugar coconut. I mean, powdered sugar donut, but you will not get this unless you pass the test. So we have covered five reasons, five ways that you can be happy. And of course, you all know these, don't you? You've written them in, in your heart. But in case someone has forgotten, I will review because I want all of you to wear this. So we'll have a little review here, first of all. first one is that you don't get caught up in the world. It's one of the attributes of the mind. The mind can invent within it something that is not mind, or it can invent something that appears to be other than pure mind, pure peace. And it can believe that this thing that it invents is separate from it, and it can get caught up in it. And this is what we do, of course, every night when we dream. We invent a reality other than ourselves. We, we invent a situation in which we appear to be separate from something else. Quite a bit of other stuff. Lots and lots of other stuff that we're separate from. And we wander through the little dream, feeling separate, having little battles with something that we ourselves have made up. And so it's quite clear that the mind can get caught up in something that it believes is not a part of it, that is not within its realm, that is past the limits of its reach. But never is this the case, just as it wasn't in the little dreams we had last night. Never is it true that anything is outside the boundary of the strength and the peace of our heart. It still encircles it all. We still can bless anyone, and we still can come to peace ourselves. Why then don't we do this? Because we do get caught up over and over again in all the silly little things that happen right from the beginning that the day begins. Things don't go quite as we think they should. And we set these little goals we have these little fantasies as to how the day should go. What would be a good thing for us if, if it happened? And sure enough, it doesn't quite happen that way. Or if it does happen, we get scared and think that we don't deserve it. And we're going to get punished because it went the way we wanted it to. <laughs> and this is all so insane and also silly. We walk on a path toward God. Either that, or we turn for a time and wander off and pursue these silly things that we can get caught up in. There is no end to them. And of course, each of us came from a family, and we were taught individually what to get caught up in. And there's no end to it. Ah, the thing in life is to have the wonderful personality, to have the personality that everyone likes. No, no. The thing in life is to have great learning, to be a serious student, and to know more and more. No, no, no. The thing in life is money, financial security, and to get ever more and more money. This is the thing in life. No, no, no. The thing in life is to avoid disaster. (laughs) It's to protect yourself. It's a jungle out there. And so, the thing in life is to be ever wary. To worry endlessly about everything. (laughs) No, the thing in life is to is how you look, Your, uh, the rags you wear, the car you drive. This is the thing that's important. And on and on and on and on. Together we can make a list of what? A thousand, ten thousand things. And it's true, each of us were taught some of these things, things that were really the nugget of life, the thing to pursue the thing to be desired, the thing that would make us happy. And there's one or two or three or more of them. Maybe it's just so-called peace and quiet, not to be disturbed, to withdraw into our little place and have everything controlled so that we can just have our fantasies and, and have our rest and eat our food and nibble on our chocolates and watch our favorite TV program, and so forth. There's no end to it. And we can get caught up in these things, and there are a hundred other things just this day that we can get caught up in. But the fact is we don't have to, because there is that gentle path that walks toward God, that walks towards peace, and so all we have to do in the beginning is just begin noticing this phenomenon of getting caught up in something, making something very important. Where we're going to park our car, or how our car looks even, or what someone said, or how something's going to turn out tomorrow, or the weather, or will the, will the wind rumple our hair. Whatever it may be. Or is Santa Fe becoming the place of the beautiful people? And so we watch. We watch carefully our mind. It's okay to be careful. It's okay to watch carefully the mind. Because it does have this tendency at this time, we have this tendency to get caught up in the totally unimportant. To make something beside walking home to our Father more important. Nothing is more important. In fact, we will look back one day and see none of it was important. All we have to do is to do what we do in peace and gentleness. And then we're walking home. We're walking toward light are we walking toward anger and bitterness and issues and being right and being agitated and and running after this excitement and that excitement and being depressed. Many of you have walked past the old love affairs. Great excitement and then crashing depression and sadness and tears and then great excitement and elation and then crashing depression and tears. Oh, I can't be with you. If only so and so was out of the way. <laughs> and oh, we're together. Up and down and up and down, you see. And then there's this gentle, gentle, gentle path. Increasing awareness of the presence of God. And it's very simple. As we go through the day, at any given moment, we're either walking in the direction of this soft, soft love. Or we have turned for a moment and we are pursuing anger or bitterness or some one thing in the world, some other thing in the world, because we've tried so many. And we learn to forgive ourselves quickly and simply turn back to the only direction that matters, the only thing that matters. And that, of course, is the second ingredient of happiness, this single focus, this disciplining of the mind. This is not believed. People read a few books, they go to a few talks, They learn a few words and they really believe that they know everything and possibly they do, but it makes no difference because until the mind is gently brought under control, no real progress is made. And this is not done overnight. This is done gradually each day. And so we begin where we are. We do the things that we can do. We, we, we start out in the morning and we decide upon our effort, the effort that we will make this day. Will it be every time we realize that we have turned away from gentleness and peace and love and oneness and have turned toward grievances and judgments and so forth and being right, will we simply turn back Or will we use this as some sort of evidence that truth is not true, that we're really an ego? That's the effort we make, possibly. And that's all that's necessary that we do. But that entails a disciplining of the mind, a very gradual, not a war with the mind, But look how scattered our thoughts are. All the directions that we go off. In the beginning, we think that our, our, our thoughts can do no harm. Gail and I have seen this in counseling. We have seen people who want to walk home to God. We've seen couples who want to walk home to God. They truly want to walk home to God. But one of them still has this belief that it would be all right to, to flirt, to pursue. Maybe there's someone better. That's the question. And the question can be played with. It's thought. Ah, maybe there's someone better. Maybe this person would be better. Maybe these eyes I see over here in the restaurant. Maybe this fantasy about this person. And so it's just played with the thought. Maybe there's someone better. Maybe I'll find someone better. It's just played with. And all the opportunity to join and become as one, and two hearts beating as one, is utterly and totally destroyed. It cannot exist. There is no opportunity for these two dear, dear people to come together. How many times, Gail and I have seen that, one person's mind drifts off and plays with the idea and we think a thought can do no harm. Thoughts can do great harm in the world. They do no harm to truth. But to play with a direction other than God, other than peace, other than oneness, To play with the thought of exclusion and separation and specialness and taking sides against others stops us cold in our tracks. And yet we do it in a hundred thousand different ways at this time. We must begin, we must begin today to begin pulling in the line on our thoughts. The ego must be kept on a short leash. And there's this drawing in of this great scattering of thoughts in the beginning, a very gentle process. And the third thing we talked about is forgiveness. The happy person does not criticize because the happy happy person has realized that thoughts don't leave your mind. You can't take a thought and stick it like a stamp on someone else. It stays in your heart. One attack thought stays there and it continues to attack inside you. It continues to lash out It is a source of bitterness. And so the happy person must learn to to forgive quickly and easily. How? It doesn't matter how. Anyway, we just begin. We do something. We all know enough. That's the interesting thing. What we know exactly matches the problem that we have today. It doesn't match the problem that we'll have a little little further down the line. And that's why it's not necessary for us to try to take on things we're not ready to take on. But it does match the problems that we have today. And if you are aware of a grievance, a grudge, you have the necessary tools to let this stinging insect free It's like you've swallowed some bee or something. And it just wants to get out and fly away. And it does that when you realize that your brother, your sister is innocent. So if you can't do anything else, just say. Turn to the person in your mind and say, You're innocent. Just say the words if you can't, even if they sound hollow to you. You are doing something now. You're beginning to side with your will. You're beginning to side with your destiny. You're going to get home. The only question is how long will it take you? That's the only question. And you will shorten the time today if you will try just a little, if you see some bitterness, some grievance, some condemnation. If you just notice it, and then try something. We've said before here that if you will do no more than surround the person in light, your ego will stop handing this to you. Because your ego does not like light. And if it realizes that every time it brings up this person to your mind, you're going to surround them with light, it's pretty dumb But it's not so dumb as to continue handing you that thought because that just is going to bring light into your mind. So you don't have to see anything about the person. You don't have to understand anything about the person. You just surround them in light because that's what you are. You are the light of the world. You're fulfilling your function. You're going home. You're drawing closer to God. The only question is, do you wish to draw closer to God right now? And look in your heart and you will see, yes, you do. But we have this thought about getting all the way, all at once. and if, Unless we can get there all the way, all at once, we will take the little step. You start making enormous progress when you finally decide you are willing to take the little step, the little game to make the little effort. That's when enormous progress begins, although often unnoticed in the beginning. So of course you love your father. Of course you want the peace of God. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't. And so make the little effort. It goes so quickly when we, when we decide to be that simple. And the fourth thing we talked about is certainty. If we've made the best decision that we can, if we've said, and we've decided in peace, then we act with certainty. We don't second-guess ourselves, constantly question ourselves. We do the best we can And we act as if what we are doing is absolutely perfect. Once we've made up our mind. Of course, if the situation changes and we need to reconsider, we do that. This is how Mother Teresa began acting with certainty. She began acting like a saint before she became one. It's all right to do that. It's essential to do that. Discouragement is love of the ego. Discouragement is love of the other direction. Discouragement is an unwillingness to take the little step toward God that we could take. That's all it is. It's a reason that we give ourselves for not taking the little step. There is no reason to be discouraged because the way home is so so simple we could not fail to understand it if a little puppy if a little kitty cat if a little one two three or four year old can understand it can't we with all of our vast knowledge and all the books we've read and all the fancy metaphysical ideas we can give if we have all that Can we not comprehend the way home? So tell yourself, there is no reason for me to be discouraged. I'm just unwilling to make the little effort. I want the effort to be grand and noticeable. And the fifth thing we talked about is that the happy person is not afraid walks in peace and yet takes every fear into consideration, looks at the fear, never avoids the fear. The fear indicates a belief, a premise accepted. If you are afraid, you are believing something that is hurting you and so you must look at even the slightest little tinge of fear. Look at it. Do whatever you need to do to lay it aside. As we've said so often, doing something overt, doing something practical, is often the best way to lay aside a thought. There was a couple who came to me for counseling a long while back. And um, I don't think I've told you the story. They were going to get married. They wanted me to marry them. And I make everyone who wants, to, uh, want, wants me to marry them, I make them see me three times. Uh, it's surprising how many <laughs> this eliminates. <laughs> 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 I have to come to three, three separate sessions. and uh, So there was a hang-up. Something was going on. We were talking about this concept, about fear. Looking at the fear. Doing whatever you need to do to let go of the fear and to help the other person with the fear. You see, what we do is we see the other person's fear. We realize that it's crazy, that it's a weakness. And it is. It's insane. All fear is insane. So whatever fear you have, there's someone who sees the insanity of that fear. Now, the the tendency is to condemn the person because of their fear, to attack them because of their pain. Fear is pure pain. And when someone is afraid, they are in pain, and they are in trouble. And our tendency is to criticize them, to look down upon them because of this weakness. And what we must learn, especially in our relationships, is to not question the other person's fear, To not try to argue them out of it because that won't work. But to come and help them because they're afraid. Not help them in seeing the light, but help them feel better, feel connected. This is often what Gail and I do when one of us is having trouble. We, We up the number of times we meditate during the day. We may, instead of having three meditations a day we may have seven or eight little ones during the day because just the closeness helps just you're willing to be someone's friend just you're willing to accept them and their fears to support them even in their mistakes to be their friend and support them even in their mistakes helps them because now they feel connected and that's all that's needed We don't realize this in the beginning. All that's needed is this kind of simple love. The willingness to be someone's friend. Not to take their side against someone else. This is not being their friend. This is feeding their ego. The ego grows when it's fed. And we learn to avoid situations that feed our ego. You know some of those situations already. Don't think that you will come through a situation like that unscathed. If the situation feeds your ego, your ego grows. That means you turn away from God and you walk the opposite direction and you will simply have to retrace your steps. And you will retrace your steps. But if it can be avoided, then avoid it. And one way to avoid it is to not do it with others. To just drop the habit entirely. To not feed other people's ego. And so, they closed their eyes and they tried to see what they were afraid of. What were the fears that they had? What, what were the fears they had about each other? What were the fears they had about the future? What were they, what were they afraid of about this relationship? This marriage? Why were they afraid to get married? They just looked to see if there were fears because there always are some. And uh, the man saw that he was afraid that, uh, that this woman would not be a good mother. And so I had him look in their hearts again. I asked him to be very specific, to look even more closely. You cannot look too closely at a fear. You can try to understand it, and this is a mistake. Don't try to understand it. Look at it. It is not understandable. It did not come from God. Therefore, it cannot be understood. Trying to understand the fear is an ego question that has no answer, and it will simply keep your mind endlessly stirred up. You will never understand the fear. It is insane. It cannot be understood. That's why it can't be reasoned away in the way in the in the way that we usually do it it can be reasoned away if if you're using pure truth and you're turning to god in that sense but in the way we try to reason these things away it's not going to touch the fear it will in fact reinforce it and so i asked him to become more specific and i asked her to think about how she was going to help him with this fear because up until now their discussion had been This fear would come out in various ways and she would be incensed. What do you mean I'm not going to be a good mother? And you can see how she could feel criticized by the fear. Fear doesn't criticize you. It seems to criticize you, but if you will look more carefully, it is not criticizing you. It has nothing to do with you. It is their fear. And he would have had this fear about any person that he was marrying. It was his fear. It was not a comment on her. But she felt criticized by it and so forth. And so the pattern had been that he would express the fear in some way and then she would attack him because he was in pain. And this was perfectly understandable, but it got nowhere. So he looked at the fear more closely and he said, Well, I don't think, uh, see, I, I think well she's going to forget the feedings that's uh, I, i'm just sure she's going to forget the feedings. I said anything else closed his eye um uh, she's going to forget to pick the child up at school now they didn't no one was pregnant nothing you know hadn't <laughs> gotten married she's going to forget to pick him up at school. I just know that you know. this is this see when you look at a fear, it becomes crazier and crazier, and it leaves your mind if you don't believe it. Remember, thoughts stay in our mind as long as we believe them. You look at anything the ego's handing you honestly enough, and it will leave your mind because you will not believe it. And they were laughing. They were laughing at this point because he had looked closely enough to see the absurdity of the fear. So I said, okay, now, there's his fear. What are you going to do about it? So she closed her eyes and she said, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and buy one of these little digital watches and I'm going to set it so that it will go off every time the baby should have a feeding. I said, that's great. And what are you going to do about picking the child up at school? She said, I'm going to get a brightly colored string, and every morning I'm going to tie it on my finger so that when I let him at school, then I'll look at it, and I'll say, oh, I've got to pick him up. I can't forget to do that. Now, the the result of the session was that the fear was greatly lessened. Do you see how it would be? By looking at it and having someone join with you to help you with it. It doesn't have to be in silly ways like that Can be in quite practical ways. Uh, Gail is very good about this with John, and I think I told you once. I remember one one wonderful scene one night in which John uh, was going into his bed and so forth, and he came out of the room and he said, I can't go in there, there are gorillas in there. <laughs> now, many parents make the same mistake towards their children that they make towards themselves, saying, oh, that's silly, I shouldn't believe in that. And they think they've gotten rid of the fear because they, think, because they see it's silly. They haven't even seen the fear. They've just gotten sort of a vague image of the fear. And so they say, Oh, I should, that's not, there's no reason to be afraid of that. And they go right ahead carrying the fear with them. That's why when you notice a fear, stop and look at it. Write it out if you need to, describe it, whatever you need to do. Looking at the ego is what makes it disappear because there's no ego. <laughs> we don't say that very often here. <laughs> <laughs> So, many parents would say, well, what do you mean? There's no gorillas and gorillas zoos and so forth. And, or they would go in there and they'd say, there are no gorillas in there. What do you mean? Go get in bed. It'd be silly.
1: Ah, gorillas <laughs>
0: <laughs> And that's the scene that's repeated. What do you mean? Nothing in the closet. But that's what Our Gail did. I think she picked up one of John's swords, his play swords. She said, I'll deal with this. <laughs> she went in she closed the door and there was much banging and screaming and and so forth I mean there was a real war that went on in there she came out and she said I got rid of every gorilla there are none in there and he believed it (laughs) went right in and went to bed (laughs) the other thing that you can do with children that's so so neat and it's, it's the same principle exactly the same principle John sometimes wakes up, he's had a nightmare at night, and he's very, very disturbed by something. This, uh, this particular one that I remember just a few days ago, it, the nightmare, the, uh, the uh, monster that he had dreamed about was made out of building blocks, you know, the little wood building blocks, you know. And uh, so I just uh, talked to him for a while. We sat there on the bed, and I had him describe it. And it was very it's a very interesting to watch this process because in the beginning the monster's going to do all this stuff, and then, as he looks at the monster and he starts describing the monster and find he, he realized that because the monster was made out of building blocks, it didn't have a mouth but he looked at it more closely, and so he said, "Well, maybe it'll just suck up all my skin he <laughs> <laughs> said didn't have a mouth, and pretty soon we kept you know looking at this and thinking about it and describing it, and master was gone we turned on a few extra lights and so forth and he went back to bed all right so that's those are the five you now know them you know what you're going to get at the end of the year but here's number six you have to remember number six now usually we only get covered one of these and uh Well I'll be darned, we've already covered this a lot a happy <laughs> A happy person does not deny, and that's really what we were talking about, wasn't it? as you don't deny you look at it um, so this has to do with honesty um, so often we think we can help people by making them conscious stricken or as uh as they say in Texas, conscience smitten, that we can make them feel, uh, feel remorse, a tinge of conscience. We really do believe that by criticizing someone or turning to them and pointing out their fault as we judge it. So we're actually judging the fault. We actually think it is a fault. And we turn and we tell the person their fault Directly or indirectly. It's very often done quite indirectly. And we think that there's some sort of chemical process that goes on as a result of this, do you see? We've dropped the magic pill into the brew. And here's what's going to happen. They will feel conscious smitten, or a little conscious smitten. They will feel this tinge of guilt. And then, as on uh, the old Perry Mason show, there will be this break down and they will see oh you're right and I'm wrong and you're this is exactly the way I should live my life and I'm so happy that you call me this name (laughs) (laughs) and we really do believe that that's the way it works but how does it really work all we have shown the person is that we too believe in attack because it is some form of attack that we are holding against them and so all we really say is i believe in the value of attack because i am attacking you because of your fault and this is not honesty this is what is passing currently for honesty it's a hangover from the 60s and early 70s and and all those groups and all the stuff that was going on and the humor that arose and the, the kidding and all the stuff that that uh, went on you see we still this is almost This started out in sort of an overt way and now it's sort of gone underground. And this is what is passing for honesty now. It's a form of brutalness. And I know I've uh, told you this, but I I just want to mention again because it's such a good uh, illustration of this point. And that is uh, that Gail and I uncovered one of these dynamics in our relationship a year or so ago. Which was uh cooking food. And we uh we Gail d- cooks more than I do, but I do occasionally cook. And then what would happen is the person would fix the dish, go to the other person and say, How do you like it? You see, uh well uh, I think it needs um I think it needs a little chili. That's what you always say in New Mexico.
1: <laughs> those of you who just
0: <laughs> those of you who just arrived here this is always if you want to appear very wise at a restaurant, I think I could use a little green chili. Everybody will nod my daddy, the green chili. Yeah. And um, so let's say I had said that to Gail needs a little green chili and she'd say, Well the children have to eat it. You always want everything to be so overspiced that no one can eat it. And I will say, Well, but you asked me my opinion. Well, I was just asking you if you thought it was ready. It's a baked dish. I just want you to know if, if, if it's if it's ready or not is it baked? <laughs> well, it depends on your definition of ready. you know how this thing goes goes on. So we uh, realized this was an unhappiness. You catch these little things. It's funny how you can go along for sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years, and something's been going on one day you suddenly see it. there's a little little unhappiness there that doesn't have to be there. Now, the way most people try to get rid of the unhappiness is to attack each other, to point out the fault that's being made. And this, at most, will drive it underground so it just is a bitterness that's just there. And there's a lot of this in relationships, these unspoken things that have been hammered underground. The person lets you know, or you let the person know, that this is not an acceptable topic of conversation. But Gail and I have learned that when we recognize one of these unhappinesses, that we just sit down. We don't discuss the issue and who's right and who's wrong, who did it last and who does it most and all this other stuff. But we just sit down and say, you know, this is, something's going on here. Why don't we just be peaceful? That's all that's necessary. Something's going on. Obviously, something's going on. So you sit down and we closed our eyes. And we, after being peaceful, we decided that what we would do is that whenever one of us fix something and ask the other person what they thought of it. The other person would say, oh, it's just wonderful. That is just wonderful. And then if cro- closely cross-examined, they would stick to it. They would stonewall it. <laughs> they would not retract. You see, that the only exception would be if it was so awful it, could, it would not stay on the stomach. <laughs> If we had to make tr- frequent trips to the b- bathroom, you see, then we could say, well, I just can't eat this. <laughs> but I, we could never remember in the 17 years or whatever it was at that point uh, that it ever happened. and uh, So that's what we do. And it's just—it's become a running joke. We predict something and we ask the other person. We know what they're going to say. They just say, it's wonderful. I say, but do you really mean it? No, I, I mean, I really want to know this time. And I person, oh, yes. Oh, it's just, mm God, this is, well, give me another helping, please. <laughs> this is true honesty. <laughs> because you're being honest to the relationship, do you see? It's faithfulness and honesty to the relationship. That's why it's real honesty. You can either be honest to the ego or you can be honest to the to the deep bond that exists between you and the other person. To which will you be honest? From which source will you draw your opinions? And we've mentioned very often in here how we instinctively do this with children and the little tasks, the little attempts that they make, the little art projects and so forth. We never think of our ego opinion of it. We just say it's wonderful, because they're wonderful. And we know what they're asking. Am I wonderful? Am I innocent? Am I making progress? Do you love me? Not, is this a great drawing? You see. (laughs) But give them a few years, and we really think they're asking, this It's a great drawing. And we'll tell them. Because we've got our MS in art, and they don't. Well, let's see. We've, we're coming uh, close to the end here. Should we launch into number seven? Um, let's do, we'll launch briefly into number seven. Now, there is something about Manny that I've only told you once, and you will have a few questions on the test about Manny. So, you must listen to these things. Now... I told you that, of course, I went to Manny's Ministerial School in New Claude, Texas. Now, it's right next to Claude, Texas. It's easy to miss. But, (laughs) not far from Muleshoe Muleshoe and Level Land. These are real places, kid. I'm not not kidding you. There's actually a place called Muleshoe, Texas, and Level Land, Texas. And it is level. (laughs) I tell you. (laughs) Um, and there's a Claude, Texas, but this was a new Claude. <laughs> I just love the idea of people from Claude going out and founding new Claude.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but actually, it wasn't Manny's. It wasn't just Manny's ministerial school. It was Manny's ministerial school in Hamburger Heaven. <laughs> I just I haven't mentioned that very often, but. <laughs> Manny, well, you know, while I was there, the other student and I would often watch. (laughs) We would often watch Manny while he grilled the hamburgers. (laughs) As a matter of fact, there was a little sign that someone had made some very grateful student had made that he hung above his grill and it said, the Sid Hartha of the grill. (laughs) Uh, Each patty is individual and yet there's only one patty. That's the kind of thing Maddie would say. say. (laughs) And so we would listen to these great lectures and, uh, He pointed out that that the hamburger was like life, (laughs) and that there were so many questions you could get caught up in. Should the bun have sesame seeds? (laughs) And then the modern question of, should the patty itself be square? There is now a general question in the air uh, as to whether or not the square hamburger patty is juicier. People who have the square one actually claim that the squareness gives it added juice. And Manny Maddie, Maddie would uh, point this out, that this is a question. And then, should you have the special sauce or should you have the relish? There's that question. There's the question of chopping the lettuce. Should the lettuce be chopped or should there be leaves? Leaves of lettuce, you see. He said, what you've got to do is you just go in and you make the hamburger. You must not get caught up in these questions. He said, otherwise you will never get out of the pastry section of Piggly Wiggly. Because you will be endlessly comparing all the buns. You see, now there are whole wheat buns and they're, they're, they're buns that have no flour. Did you know this? This is a fact now. We bought bread recently that had no flour. <laughs> it had raisins but it had no fun. Yeah. and then if you are a true artist what if you selected the perfect bun and then decided on the square patty and you placed the round bun on the square patty what are you supposed to do with the little teeny corners that stick out <laughs> You won't eat it. You'll sit there. Should I nibble? Should I nibble them off? Because people, if you nibble off the corners, it will be round. And all the juiciness will be gone. All right. So this was Manny's great lecture on simplicity. <laughs> It doesn't matter what you choose, what ingredients you choose, how you make the hamburger, whether it's well done or pink and warm in the center. None of these things matter. It is the happiness. It is the peace with which you make the hamburger. So as you go through the day, remember the hamburger. And say it makes no difference whether it has sesame trees, seeds, or special. <laughs> it matters only that it is made in peace and simplicity and eaten not with relish but with relish. <laughs> this you have to be very subtle to come to this church. All right. I think we will get deeper into simplicity. Uh, next time, because we're running out of uh, time, and what are we going to, we're going to end with, all right, now, people, we're, we're having David C. card up, now, David is going to do one of these, no, no, we're not having David, we're having Tui, Tui came, all right, um, Tui is going to lead us in one of these uh, little meditations, and once again, you can leave whenever you wish, because this does go on and on. But, (laughs) but there's a very simple, right? So what you want to do is just close your eyes. Now, this is a truth. I have nothing to do. I have nowhere to go is a divine truth. As long as you don't apply it to the world. It's a truth. So just lean back and say, I have nothing to do. I have nowhere to go. I have nothing to do but to listen to this simple melody, to let it sink into my heart. And so let's end our service with this. When I can read
1: my title clear to mansions in the sky I'll bid farewell to every fear And wipe my weeping eyes I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey home. I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey home. I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey home I feel like I feel like I'm on my I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey home. I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey. I feel like I'm on my journey. Oh, my feel like I feel like I'm on my journey. My journey oh oh, my feel like I feel like I'm on my journey. I feel like I feel like I'm on my journey.